this week on Hope for the Broken. When Joseph prayed to God, guess what God did? God spoke to his servant Joseph and God guided and directed him. But you know, I find it interesting, the words that the angel chooses to say, Joseph, do not fear. Joseph, don't be so afraid that you run away from the situation. But why? Because God was doing something amazing. Don't be terrified, Joseph, because God is working it all out. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community, redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we continue our series called Let Earth Receive Her King. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part two titled, The King Announced. Last week, we kicked off a new series of sermons a Christmas teaching series called Let Earth Receive Her King. And so I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me now to the New Testament book of Matthew. We talked about the king promised last week. This week we're going to look at the king announced. We're going to be in chapter 1. We're going to focus in on verses 18 through 25 here this morning as we see the announcement of the coming of our king, Jesus. You know, differing types of announcements cause a variety of emotions. When you really kind of think about it, whenever you hear an announcement, you can receive or you can expect a variety of different kinds of emotions. For example, one of my favorite things to do is weddings. And whenever I'm, as a pastor, make the pronouncement of the couple being husband and wife, it is always received with enthusiasm. Right? The crowd applauses and everybody is excited and happy, especially the groom that it's over, right? The bride is like, now it's on to the best party in the world. And, and so it, it usually draws a lot of excitement. A, a new product announcement can sometimes generate excitement. I have a friend that takes a day off from work every annual meeting of Apple to see what product they're unrolling in the new year. And so he looks forward to that. He sets aside that day. That announcement is exciting to him. If you've worked for a company that has had a merger, you know the announcement of that merger brings angst, doesn't it? What's going to happen to my job under this new arrangement, this new merger? How is this going to affect my working uh, relationships? What's going to happen? Church announcements create an emotion. I see your faces. When we get up here and we do church announcements, I I see it. It's like eyes roll, like we're checking the watches. Oh yeah, Pastor Chris went way long, right? I'm convinced, you guys, you know what, you know what hell will be like? It'll be 24-7 church announcements, right? That's, that's the emotion that is, that church announcements generate. This time of year for my youngest daughter is usually the most difficult time of year. Eden can't keep a secret, right? She wants to announce to the whole world what everybody's getting for Christmas. She just gets so, so excited. My mom is the exact same way. All you have to do with my mom is you have to say, you know, Christmas is going to be exciting, isn't it? Oh, you're not going to believe what you're going to get. Why don't I just tell you what you're going to get right now, right? That's my mom, right? These announcements evoke emotions. 
Well, typically in, in biblical days, when a king was announced that a king was in the room, there would be a great announcement of that king, a buildup, an introduction to that king. Well, Jesus being the king of all kings, the Lord of lords at his coming had an announcement and the angel announced way before his birth to Joseph and Mary about his coming. And the announcement of Jesus created strong emotions. There, of course, was excitement, but there was also anger. Remember King Herod, how he felt? That there are three wise men that came to do what? To worship the new king. And remember his response? I want to find the Messiah and execute him because he felt threatened. But the announcement of Jesus' birth, no doubt, produced fear and anxiety. Can you imagine young Mary, Joseph, receiving the news that she's pregnant? Wait, what? This was not in our plans. As we were imagining a future together, this was the furthest thing from our discussions. And I'm sure it produced fear and anxiety as we're going to see that. And we're going to be examining the components of the announcement of King Jesus here this morning. The announcement that he was coming. And we're going to do so by looking at the person, looking at the people, looking at the prophecy, and then the posture. That will serve as our outline here this morning. I was really creative this week. They all started with the and the letter P, right? And so we're going to look at those four things. That's where we're headed this morning. Let's first begin by looking at the person. The person of the announcement. I'm referring to the king that is announced. Follow along with me in your copy of God's word. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, before we really unpack this, I want to give you a little bit of background here, background information as to what's happening. The first four books, if you're new to Bible study in the New Testament, are the Gospels, right? And of the four Gospels, three of them are labeled synoptic Gospels. And they're given that term synoptic Gospels because the three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, share a lot of similar uh, stories, so when you read in Matthew, you'll also most likely find it in Luke with some little variations, and you'll also find it in the book of Mark. Now, many uh, skeptics have said, well, this is just them copying each other, but in reality, it lends credibility to it. There's some slight variances of the story, which is just like in a court of law, whenever you have multiple witnesses, they're going to see it all from slightly different angles, and that's exactly what you see in the Synoptic Gospels. Matthew chapter 1 is told from the perspective of Joseph. The differing aspect in Luke chapter 1 is that it's told from Mary's perspective. And while they have much of the same information, they, they each give us a slightly different perspective. And we're going to see it from Joseph's perspective in just a moment. But one way that these two accounts, actually three ways these two accounts mirror each other, is number one, both Mary and Joseph are visited by an angel. Prior to understanding that Mary was pregnant, Secondly, the angel tells both Mary and Joseph that Mary is going to have a child and that it's going to be a son and that that son will be the son of God. And thirdly, they also state that they were told to name the baby Jesus. And so we see similarities even though they're told from differing perspective. But there's a couple of things I want to point out here, especially about the name Jesus. 
Did you know in our day and time, we pick names based upon what sounds good, right? Uh, I was being a youth minister. There were certain names of kids that caused me troubles. That name was off limits for my kids. I did not want to be reminded of that student. How many of you teachers are the same way? It's hard to find a name for your kids, right? Because somebody else has destroyed that name. Some of us are a little more deliberate in choosing names. We want our kids to all start with the same first letter, right, in their first name, or maybe their initials all be the same. Some of us name our children after someone special in our lives. But in biblical days, names were extremely important and were very significant. They often expressed the character of a person or even drew their attention to God. Now, the name of Jesus was actually a common name in first century Galilee, kind of like the name Chris. Everybody has the name Chris, right? In that day and time, it was not uncommon to find someone named Jesus. But here, Mary and Joseph are told to name the child Jesus. But Matthew has to be a little more specific about which Jesus we are talking about. What is it he says? He says, this is the account of, quote, the birth of Jesus Christ. In other words, this isn't any old Jesus, a first century Galilee. It is about Jesus Christ. Now, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is more of a title. In fact, a literal translation would read Jesus the Christ. Jesus, the word Jesus, the name Jesus actually means Yahweh or God saves. Yahweh saves. And the term Christ means the anointed one, or as we understand it, the Messiah. And so it's a title. This is Jesus, yeah, but not any old Jesus. It is Jesus, the Messiah. Now here's why that's important. Because the central theme of the gospel accounts is Jesus, the Christ. The central theme of the entire Old Testament is building to the Christ, And this Jesus is that fulfillment. See, the focus is not on Mary. The focus is not on Joseph. The focus is not on the wise man. It's not on the gifts that they bring. It's not even on the shepherds keeping their watch over the flocks at night. The focus at Christmas is on Jesus, the Christ. And Matthew says this is the story of the birth of Jesus, the Christ. Now, I think it's important for us to realize that this time of year because we often get off track at Christmas, don't we? The temptation to veer off track. Sometimes I hear people talk about Christmas being all about family gatherings. Some people think that Christmas is all about, quote, spreading holiday cheer, being kind and generous. Others tend to think that Christmas is about giving and receiving gifts. And while Christmas encompasses those things, it only does so because Jesus was born. Without Christ, there is no Christmas. Without the birth of Jesus, there is no deliverance of a Messiah. Without the birth of Jesus, this would just be another holiday we created to give more money to the merchants. Here's the deal. We don't worship and praise Mary. She was a vessel that was used by God in a powerful way. We don't worship and focus in on Joseph. He was a vessel used by God. Our focus in Christmas is on Jesus. 
We are to focus our mind's attention and our heart's affection on King Jesus. This truth is further pointed out in verse 21 of Matthew chapter 1. Joseph is told that she, meaning Mary, will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. We worship God. Our hearts and minds are on God, but it is easy this time of year to be distracted by all the other things that accompany us. So we're to focus on the person. The second thing we see in Matthew's birth narrative is the people. I've already made mention about Joseph and Mary, and while they're not the central part of the story, I do think that Matthew intends for us, and Luke for that matter too, intends for us to relate to this couple, to find ourselves in Joseph and Mary. And so let's see if you can identify that in verses 18 and 19. It says, again, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed. To Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. I want to see if you can identify with Joseph and Mary here. Place yourself in, particularly since Matthew does this, in Joseph's sandals, if you will. First, they were betrothed. The word betrothed is a word that literally translated means to win and to promise in marriage. So Joseph had won Mary's heart and he had promised her in marriage and vice versa. Mary had won and captivated Joseph's heart and had promised to marry him. Betrothal is an equivalent to what we understand to be an engagement. But in biblical days, betrothals would happen when people were pretty young like 12, 13, and 14 years of age. And most of the time, they were arranged by the parents. The parents would get together, and uh, Mary's parents would say, boy, I sure like Joseph's parents and, and him, and he's a great young man, and let's get these two together. And these betrothals would actually be arranged marriage. And a betrothal was actually a formal ceremony in those days. You would go to the synagogue, you would stand before the priest there, and the priest would formally place a contract upon the couple. You are now engaged. You are betrothed. But you would have no physical, intimate relation for what would be a period of 12 months. And the only way you could break off a betrothal would be to go through a divorce. And that's why the the Scripture tells us that when Joseph learned the news... When Mary was found to be pregnant, Joseph resolved to divorce her quietly. After a year of engagement then, in those days, a couple would then go through another ceremony, and this would be the actual wedding, and it would last for days, and it was a party. Now, I know this whole arrangement sounds terrible in our culture, right? Like an arranged marriage, like who would want that, or you know, a betrothal for 12 months. But as a dad of daughters, I'm thinking this is kind of a great idea. If a dude went through 12 months of a betrothal, you know he's a good dude, right? And so so here we are. This is the the conditions. This is the surroundings that, that Joseph and Mary find themselves in. And so Joseph was engaged. But what do you do? 
You're engaged to this woman. You're committed to her. You're bound by operating according to the customs and the laws of the day, and yet she's found to be pregnant. What do you do if you're Joseph? I think there's a few options here. He could out her. He could be so upset, he could publicly out her, share what had happened, and most likely she would not have only been put to shame, but she could have been stoned to death. But I think Joseph loved her. So he didn't want to do that. In fact, the scripture said that he was unwilling to put her to shame so he could break off the engagement. But to do that would require a divorce. Or Joseph could just marry her. And then he too be labeled with shame because he married a woman of ill repute. Or if he lived today, he could slip her some money and say, go to the abortion clinic and have it taken care of. That really wasn't an option back then, but what would you do? Do you see the dilemma that Joseph is in? And he's pondering these things. And think about poor Mary. It's not like Mary chose and signed up for this. And all of this is crashing and weighing heavy upon this couple. Do you feel it? What do you do? And Joseph was contemplating his options feeling like the best option was to divorce her and to try to do so quietly. But that was before the angel visited him. And we also learn in verse 19 that he was a just man. That means that he was a righteous man. He was a godly man. And so what does a godly man do in this situation? Let's see how he responds. Let's look at verse 20. And as he considered these things, in other words, I think he was praying about it. God, what do I do? God, this is an impossible situation. God, what would honor Mary? What's the right thing to do? And while he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. When Joseph prayed to God and began to consider God, guess what God did? God spoke to him. God spoke to his servant Joseph through an angel, and God guided and directed him. But you know, I find it interesting, the words that the angel chooses to say to Joseph. The first words. Joseph, do not fear. Now, what's interesting is how that word is literally translated. The word can be translated, don't be terrified and put to flight. In other words, Joseph, don't be so afraid that you run away from the situation. Have you ever been in a situation where all you wanted to do is just run away? Odds that seem so overwhelming so impossible that all you wanted to do was flee. The angel comes in and says, Joseph, no doubt. I understand you're in a difficult situation, but here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to flee. Don't be terrified. But why? Why should Joseph remain steady? Because God was doing something amazing. God was about to do something that had never been done before. Deliver himself 
in the flesh by way of a virgin birth in the person or work of Jesus Christ. Don't be terrified, Joseph, because God is working it all out. You know, I'm convinced we often miss out on God's work in our lives. Why? Because we're too terrified to stay the course. We say, well, in the midst of this whole situation, God, I'm fleeing the situation. You must not be in it. It's too hard. If you were in it, it would be easy. That's not the case. It's not the case 100% of the time. And often we miss God moving our lives because we give up and we miss out on what God was working in our lives. Maybe you're here today, you're facing an impossible situation. I want you to know something. God is speaking to you the same thing he was speaking to Joseph in an impossible situation. Don't be afraid. Don't flee. Don't give up. I'm at work here. Trust me in it. Do you think this was hard for Joseph? Oh, you bet it was. Overwhelming. You know what? I think this is why the scriptures don't tell us. I think he was in tears, sobbing, brokenhearted, but he was a just man. He trusted God and he took him at his word. So we see the person, we see the people. The third point is that we see Joseph could trust God because of the prophecy. Number three, the prophecy. What God did through the angel was to remind Joseph of his word. God took him back to the scriptures. Look at it again, verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. In other words, God says, Joseph, let me remind you of my word. Remember way back the words that you studied as a little Hebrew boy that God was going to deliver a Messiah. I need you to go back to that foundation. I need you to understand that what I'm doing is fulfilling my word. I'm making good on a promise that I made a long, long time ago. All you have to do, Joseph, is turn to my word. Isn't that good? In times of impossibility, where do you turn? Where do I tend to turn? And truth be told, beloved, I often turn to earthly wisdom when what I need is God's timeless word. And so the angel directs Joseph back to his word. And can you imagine in that moment that Joseph's mind, as I see it in my own mind's eye, that his mind began flooded with all the messianic prophecies he had studied and probably had memorized and knew them like the back of his hand. He's seeing them being fulfilled before his very eyes. I want to point out a few of them that would have immediately come to Joseph's mind. First, is that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. He would have been taken back to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, which was written 733 years before Jesus' arrival. And it said, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign, and behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. This was the exact verse that the angel took him to. Joseph thinking, ah, check. What else would he notice? He would notice that the, that the Messiah was to be born as a human male. Also, 730 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah said in chapter 9, verse 6, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. Mary, guess what she's going to have? She's going to have a son. Check number two. But there's more prophecies. 
the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And in those days, Caesar Augustus had created a, a decree, a, the, the census, that people were going to be taxed. And you guys know what you do with your taxes. You wait till the last minute. I see you. I do the same thing, right? And so they understood what was happening. He was going to have to go back to Bethlehem. And we talked about this last week. Micah 5.2 says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who were too little among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, the Messiah, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Check three. There's also the timing of his birth. Did you know the Bible gives us a clue? The Old Testament actually gave a clue as to the timing of Christ's coming, his first coming. In Haggai chapter 2, verses 6 through 9, it says this, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, the temple, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house, of this temple, shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, in the temple, I will give peace. What is this prophecy talking about? This prophecy says that the Messiah would visit the second temple. First temple was constructed and destroyed in all of the exiles. But then there was the construction of the second temple, King Solomon. And what this prophecy is saying is that the Messiah would visit the second temple. So the Messiah was supposed to come sometime between 516 BC when that second temple was built and when it was before it was destroyed. Well, guess when the second temple was destroyed by the Romans in AD 70. So somewhere, I know that's a long range of windows. It's like 500 years. But somewhere in that 500 years, the Messiah would come. Certainly they were within that window. And Joseph could have said, ah, check number four. You see how Joseph's mind in that moment when God is speaking to him begins to see the handiwork of God, the orchestration of God building up to the fulfillment of his word. And guess what? There are many, many more prophecies about the messianic the coming of christ all this is beginning to make sense to jesus uh, to joseph see in times when we're tempted to flee in times when we're tempted to run god wants us to be reminded of his faithfulness i will remain true to my word it is impossible for god to deny his word that would make him a liar and therefore not holy So God is always true to himself. He'll always be true to you, and he'll always be true to me. Don't flee, Joseph. So we have the person, the people, and the prophecy, but finally we see the posture. The posture. After this magnificent revelation to Joseph, what posture did Joseph take in that moment? Matthew chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. It says, when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. What did godly Joseph do? He did exactly what God commanded him to do. Even to the finest detail of naming the Christ child Jesus. 
See, godly men, godly women, take the posture of obedience to Almighty God. But what I want you to see this morning is that even though Joseph was obedient, you know what cost him something? It cost Joseph his reputation. It cost Joseph time and energy. Certainly people would label Joseph a Jesus freak. And though he married Mary, he remained committed to honoring his engagement vows. You know, when God calls us to do something, when we're obedient, it ought to cost us something. It does cost us something. Maybe it's the sacrifice of resources. Maybe it cost us friends. Maybe being obedient to God's call on your life will cost you a career. And maybe obedience to God means that we risk being labeled a Jesus freak. And sometimes it's all the above. Being obedient to God often involves a cost to you and to me. But here's my question. What's the cost of disobedience? Right? It can't even begin to compare to the cost of obedience. The cost of disobedience, though right in the moment, it may feel like the better option, the easier way out. But in the long run, it'll cost you even more so. Think of a man by the name of Jonah. Disobedience to God cost him. And it even cost the people around him. Disobedience is far greater a cost than obedience to God, even though obedience to God cost us something. How will the story of your life read? Because the story of Joseph, verse 24, could have read, when Joseph woke from his sleep, he fled and divorced Mary, and she was all alone. But that's not what the story says. Verse 24 says that he arose, and he did exactly as the angel had commanded him. What will verse 24 of your life read? What will verse 24 of my life read? When, insert your name, woke from sleep, he or she did as the Lord commanded him. Is that how 24 will read for you? Is that how 24 will read of me? You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 930 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word 
on Hope for the Broken 103.9.